All right, well, today will be something of a foundation for our uh, about four-week look into the temptation of Jesus, as found in Luke 13, or Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. While I think our time together will be helpful, maybe in addition or as part of or uh, in full of your own devotional uh, efforts over the, last, over the next month or so, maybe you would turn to Luke 4. And read it prayerfully and ask the Spirit to speak to you as it will be what we look at um, during our time together. But sometimes it is uh, interesting to see what God, uh, through the Spirit, says to you during those times of quiet study. I think that there is much depth and richness for us to enter into in the study of this text. And to get something of a bird's eye view, we're going to read... The full 13 verses, it's not too long, but we'll read the full 13 verses. Now, I want you to join me in reading it, but I want you specifically to read the words that will be up on the screen, boldened and in red. Those are the words spoken by Jesus to the one tempting him. So, I'll read the black words and you can read the others. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all of the authority and the glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This passage can be almost a blip, something easy for us to overlook in Luke's wider gospel. And beyond that, the temptations, though I think you probably, even before reading them or really giving them a whole lot of thought today, I think probably most of us could have come up pretty close with even what the specific temptations of Jesus were. You know, something about turning something into bread and then worshiping uh, the devil and then something about being up high and being thrown down. At least I probably could have come up with kind of the basics of what those temptations entailed and some of their specifics. But even with our familiarity with them, they can 
be a little bizarre, can they? They can be a little tough for us to relate to. As far as I know, (laughs) even if I wanted to, I couldn't turn stones into bread. Tempted or not, neither have I ever had the devil appear to me in some sort of physical manifestation or even, even the way the devil typically communicates with us through our own thoughts to bow down and worship. No. I've also never, I mean, other than, you know, you know how you get that? <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird part of the human condition where, where you're standing on the edge of something, and I never want to get too close, but you just, you, you don't really, I don't want to, some of you are going to be worried about me probably by saying this, but you, you kind of stand there and look over, and, 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 and you, you kind of have that moment where you, well, I, I better hold on to something in case I just, like, jump off, you know? I, I, I've never really, we, we've been to the Grand Canyon when I was a kid. I, I didn't really want to jump off. I didn't really want to see if the angels could, could catch me. So, so the, the, the temptations can feel a little bit tough to relate to. Because of these things, it can be easy for us to overlook what a crucial series of moments and decisions this account represented for Jesus. Especially, especially with how it fits in the wider, and, and more specifically, the, the, the elements of Luke's gospel that led up to this moment. And then, what happens afterwards? Theologian and author Parker Palmer wrote in his little book entitled, I think I have it on the slide here, The Active Life. It's probably a little small, I don't know. I'm going to read it aloud here. He wrote this, though, regarding the timing of this story in Luke's Gospel. As we begin our journey into this strange tale, Jesus' temptations, we need to note its location in Luke's overall account of Jesus' life. In the chapters before this one, Luke tells of Jesus' birth and the events surrounding it and gives a quick recounting of what little he knows of Jesus' first 30 years. In the chapters after this, when Luke tells story after story of Jesus in action, Jesus preaching, confronting, healing, dying, this brief telling of Jesus' temptations in the desert comes at the pivotal point where he is emerging from the hiddenness of private life into the glare of public public life. The temptations are portrayed as the portal through which Jesus must pass to gain access to the world of right action. They are are the crucible by which he is refined so that he can undertake his mission. And Luke's story of Jesus' life begins with a testing. In these moments, Jesus is at the point where the testing will reveal precisely who Jesus is. So in Luke's gospel, there is kind of an overall pattern for Jesus. Where he is seeking to be in step, and not only seeking, but but living out a life in step with the plan of the Father. And more specifically, what the Father is up to in the world in which Jesus resides. 
a quick look at Luke to this, to that point, to Luke 4, includes a, a few just, just peaks into Jesus' life pre-public ministry and then right at the cusp of this springboard that the temptations offered to Jesus living out his call and his identity as Messiah. Think of Jesus at the temple. Remember that story? When, G when uh, Mary and Joseph and kind of the caravan of their family, I think we looked at this at Advent last year when we were talking about Mary and Joseph losing Jesus. Remember that kind of that story? They, 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 they return home and, and they go on a journey, I think it, it lists a, a day or two, and, and they're looking around, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I, have, I haven't seen him. I, I've talked to his little buddies and pals. We haven't seen him since we left Jerusalem. Oh, shoot, we just lost Jesus. <laughs> so they go back to the temple and, and they find him there. They find him there kind of holding court with with the scribes and the Pharisees, and, 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 and his insight and his questions are amazing to them. And he says to them, what, what were you looking for? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? I think another pastor, another translation, I would be about my father's business. I think Jesus at that time was probably about 12 years old. Already, already setting himself aside in terms of who he is. Luke 2, that great, uh, great uh, passage that we'll consider in the weeks to come, closer to Christmas. Luke 2, the story of Jesus. In those days when Quirinius was governor of Syria, he sent out an edict that all the world should be taxed on, on and on from there. Luke 2.52 ends, though, with a summary of Jesus' hidden life. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I think that is one of my dad's favorite verses in all of Scripture. It indicates the various relationships that we have on earth and the intention that, that God has for us to grow, to progress in our understanding of our relationship with God. In Luke's Gospel, after Luke 2, our attention turns to John the Baptist and his ministry of baptism and and Jesus arrives on the scene, and he seeks baptism too. And as this occurs in Luke 3, there's that great moment in time, this, this moment where the Trinity is all present, where the Spirit comes down on Jesus in the form of a dove as he rises from the water as his baptism. And there's that great voice that affirms Jesus' identity. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All of this happens. All of this is happening in Luke leading up to this time of temptation. So as Jesus stands on the threshold of public life, the stage is set by Luke describing Jesus as a kid who loves God and who loves scriptures. A young man who is growing in his relationship with God and with people. And kind of climaxing with this audible affirmation of Jesus as God's son. And then there's this twist in the plot. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit 
Well, what would we expect? To the temple. Hmm? To the synagogue. Shoot, even back to Galilee where he could call some disciples. Nope. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness? <laughs> Often we think this wilderness, I mean, you, you, we, we, we know what wilderness means in Scripture. Did you catch the 42, 40 days? Huh? What else happened in the wilderness for 40? 40 years. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness because of disobedience, stubbornness, grumbling. Wilderness represents in the wider narrative of Scripture the absence of God. And yet the Spirit leads Jesus. Shouldn't it say the devil led Jesus into the wilderness? Isn't the way that we kind of think that's how life goes? If I'm going through a time of, of testing or wilderness or, 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 or hunger or whatever the case may be, spiritual hunger, trial, temptation, isn't it the devil that leads me there? In Jesus' life, it was the Spirit who led him into this time of Vulnerability. Temptation, even acute temptation, is not sin. In fact, part of a life lived in Christ is the facing of temptation. One other foundational element of Luke's presentation of Jesus' life comes directly after. So in your study in Luke 4, maybe you should just begin with Luke 1. Read on through Luke 1, 2, 3, 4 you'll see that right after Jesus' baptism, there's this insert of a genealogy. That reminds us of Matthew, right? Matthew begins the whole thing with the genealogy, but Luke's genealogy is different. Luke's genealogy is one in which generation after generation is listed, and he begins with Jesus and goes backwards. Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of, 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 all the way back to Jesus' ancestral connection to Adam. Hmm? You see what Luke is doing for his readers? He's wanting them to catch the connection between Jesus and Adam. Adam in garden, tempted. Jesus in wilderness, tempted. Adam fails the test, Jesus passes the test, seems almost too uh, minimal. Jesus passes the test of being fit to redeem the sin of Adam all the way back. So often it's easy for me, especially in preaching, to, to, to pluck portions of the gospel out and, and, and we make them almost stand by themselves and it's tough and I, I really try to Jonah was looking at my notes and he, he told me it was too long just by the length of my notes I try to keep it 15 to 20 minutes right now Jonah I'm at 15:49, and I'm going to land the plane soon okay so uh, but it's tough to it's tough to, 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 to do to, to get the whole narrative 
when we just pluck a passage out. But you can see, I hope, I hope today you can see what Luke is doing. He's explaining who Jesus is, kind of, kind of uh, in, in specific, right? Jesus born to Mary and Joseph, Jesus cousin of John the Baptist, Jesus baptized. And, and then there's this kind of meta uh, a larger narrative of who Jesus is. Jesus connected to Adam, way back to Adam, the guy who got us in this mess. Jesus has come to redeem us. And let's see how he does. Let's see how he does in his time of temptation. As Adam failed, Jesus has a chance to prioritize relationship with God and connection with the Father above all else. And we'll dig more deeply into the, into the temptations in the weeks to come, but think about them, think about them in light of that connection and relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Think about how the temptations would be especially acute or especially effective. Right after Jesus hears from God, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Shoot, when my kids come to me 433 times a day approximately to tell me that they're hungry and want a snack, at least 200 times I give them something, right? And, and Jesus has just heard from God that he is the beloved son. Surely, surely the beloved son of God could not be intended to be famished with hunger, Right? As God's anointed, surely you should get the food you need. And, and, if, and if, if Jesus is sovereign over the world, why not go for it in one easy stride? Just a quick moment of worship, boom. Here's uh, the influence and, and, the, and the kingdoms of the world you need. Let's just get this done easy, if you are who you say you are. And if Jesus is truly the Messiah, why not prove it once and for all by, one, by some sort of spectacular display of power? If Jesus is truly the Messiah, God can't afford to let him die at 30 years old. Jump off from whatever you want. The angels will save you. Maybe in their specifics, those are tough to relate to. But in their underlying implications, I think we can relate. Big picture, the passage speaks to the opportunity Jesus had to maintain his relationship with God. All of temptation at its root, whatever it is, for Jesus, for us, has the potential to knock our lives out of whack, <laughs> to use a good theological term, in terms of our relationship with God and our, our identity in Christ. Over the next few weeks, through this passage, we'll have a chance to step back and look at the invitation that comes to live life in keeping with God's leading through the Spirit.